This weekend, Monitor observes the start of its 14th year of service with sincere thanks to all our loyal listeners. Brad Crandall here. News, views, and results in auto racing coming up later, about three minutes away, another opportunity to meet a millionaire. Now, renew a wonderful acquaintance with Mrs. Robinson. Simon and Garfunkel. Each weekend, Monitor affords you a close-up of one of America's wealthy men. This week's subject in the Meet a Millionaire spotlight springs from equal parts of scholar and athlete. To introduce him, Monitor reporter Candy Jones. Our millionaire guest holds the Illinois State 220-yard low hurdle record. He's Robert McLeod, handsome publisher-editor of Teen Magazine former All-American halfback from Dartmouth and pro football player with the Chicago Bears. Bob has been publisher of Harper's Bazaar and Seventeen magazines. He writes teen fiction. 
He commutes to his offices from coast to coast, and he lives on the beach at Malibu, California. He's married, he has three sons, and he was a Marine Corps fighter pilot in World War II. Bob McLeod, were you born with a silver spoon in your mouth? Mm, I think it was pretty close to my mouth, although I never really found it when I was young, I'll tell you that. Uh, growing up uh, and being a teenager in the uh, depths of the Depression, a silver spoon was something we can talk about now, but at that moment it wasn't much of a reality, believe me. As a teenager in high school, were you a good student? Yes, I was. Uh, my first, uh, well, as I remember, my first year I was in high school, I was very poor. In fact, they had uh, thoughts that I was never going to make it, but I was a, an honor student uh, thereafter, and and a reason I went to Dartmouth also was that I was the recipient of the first uh, Chicago uh, alumni uh, scholarship uh, that had, has been a regular thing since, and I'm very proud to have been the first recipient of it. Which had been your stronger point, athletics or scholastics? Well, um, I, I would say athletics uh, because they dominated my life at that, uh, at that moment and the fact that uh, had uh, pride in the fact that as an athlete I didn't want to be thought of as a dumb one. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to be thought of, and I w wanted to be thought of at the time as being an athlete, but also have some scholastic ability, and uh, I think that motivates you somewhat. What one quality, now thinking back, helped you the most in making your fortune, your success? I think competitive uh, lust or verve, uh, uh, high uh, a high feeling of competition of competitive instinct now does that track back right to your days up at Dartmouth as all-american halfback yes it does in sports yes mm -hmm. in sports I think that if you have pride and and, and you want to win and you put everything that uh, and it sounds a little corny I know but if you put every every uh, attribute you have against uh, your pride and say well I'm just not gonna lose uh, you're gonna make it mm. With the name of McLeod, should I automatically assume that you are the thrifty Scots? Uh, absolutely. I, it's very difficult to save a quarter. <laughs> well, what's the greatest luxury you do allow yourself? The greatest luxury that um, I have is, uh, I think, uh, uh, editing and publishing a magazine from California so that I can come back and forth across the country with regularity to New York and still be able to say that I'm a Californian and still be able to get up and be on the beach in the morning and uh, to have the California activities uh, about uh, whenever I want them. So you've planned your business life very beautifully. How about in your personal life, in no way connected with business? Is there any one thing that you do which is your great personal present to yourself, a luxury? Mm, well, the luxury is to make, is to make absolutely sure that, uh, that uh, each week uh, exercise prevails and and uh, hopefully uh, once a week, uh, at least a lunch hour, whereby I can play a couple sets of tennis because that's very precious to me to get in that, that exercise. I think that uh, you, you owe it to yourself and, and uh, you don't owe it to your company or your employees or your family or anyone else. That's the one very, very selfish thing that I want is an hour and a half or two hours of exercise if I can get it during the week, but certainly then on weekends, and I don't want it to be interfered with by cocktail parties in the middle of the day or any other activity that takes me away from uh, uh, a real thing that I want to do for myself and for my body. Mm -hmm. I have a final question, Bob McLeod. I know how busy you are. What is the greatest danger facing the younger generation? You deal with teenagers. Your whole magazine, Teen, is devoted to them. What do they face 
with danger ahead. The greatest problem that we really have, uh, I think, in this country and at the teen level, is the problem of uh, adequate and intelligent sex education. And this has been something that's been really pushed under the rug for a long time. It's only now beginning to break out. In this day of great, great thinkers and great educators, sex education has been so sadly neglected that it's unbelievable. Now, part of it's due to the fact that the parents and parent-teachers associations resist the idea that anyone can help them in what they aren't doing at home. And when I say what they aren't doing, that's about the size of it. But mm -hmm. sex education is the number one problem. Just the way driver education is a problem that's being solved with the help of industry, sex education isn't being solved, really. And it is a, just as much a destroyer of people, both um, boys and girls, as is, uh, that is mentally as, um, and, and spiritually as uh, driver education uh, is aimed at uh, uh, stopping uh, carnage on the highway. Exactly. Well, I hope that a lot of parents listen to that and take heed from your advice there, as well as teenagers. Thank you so much for being with us. We've been talking with millionaire publisher-editor of teen magazine, Robert McLeod. This is Candy Jones for Monitor. Chrissy Konamaki brings us up to date on what's happening in auto racing shortly, so stay right here on the Monitor Beacon. Fourteen minutes before the hour. Miss Lana Cantrell, one of her latest. An angry silence lay where love had been. And in your eyes a look I've never seen. If I had found the words, you might have stayed. But as I turned to speak, the music Lovers dance their way around 
wished you stay And as you took her hand The music Monitor presents Sport of Speed. It's time for your weekend checkpoint with Chris Economaki with action from the world of auto racing. Brought to you by the refiners of world-famous Pennsylvania-grade crude oils. Chris will be along in just a moment. But first of all, let me ask you a question that people quite often ask us. What's so great about Pennsylvania-grade crude motor oils? All right. Let's put it this way. Some oils take several days to produce. Pennsylvania crudes took a million years. Nature has never produced a crude oil like it. Pennsylvania crudes have a unique molecular structure that stands up to the heat of high speeds. Can you imagine what happens to lesser oils when they're thrashed around several thousand times a minute at turnpike speeds? Pennsylvania-grade crude motor oils never get so stirred up that they forget what they're supposed to do. So for the good of your engine, insist on Pennsylvania-grade crude motor oils. And by the way, all of you sports car enthusiasts, when is your club holding its next rally? You can get a complete rally kit with checkpoint signs, windshield numbers, and sanctioned scoring slips from the Pennsylvania-grade Crude Oil Association. For just $1, you get six big checkpoint signs, windshield stickers numbered 1 through 100, and a pad of 120 rally scoring slips. Send your dollar to Checkpoint, Box 96, Oil City, Pennsylvania, zip code 16301. Now, here's Chris Economaki. Thanks, Mel. The factories had a disappointing day today at the Carolina Motor Speedway in Rockingham, as only two of 15 factory-backed cars finished the NASCAR Carolina 500. The Allison brothers, Donnie in a factory Ford and Bobby in his own Chevelle, ran 1-2 in the race, which attracted a record crowd of 52,000. Third went to Dodge factory driver James Hilton, with the independents taking the rest of the prize money. 
Richard Brickhouse in his very first automobile race was fourth in a Plymouth and fifth went to Roy Tyner in his Ford. Jabe Thomas, Ford. J.C. McDuffie, Buick. John Sears and Clyde Lennon, Fords, along with Dave Marsis and a Chevelle, rounded out the top ten. It was 95 degrees in the stands and 145 degrees on the track surface as engine failure, mechanical trouble, and tangles sidelined 13 factory cars. The intense heat made relief driving a rule rather than the exception in the race, which had 20 lead changes among five drivers. In USAC stock car race today at New Bremen, Ohio, Ford factory ace Jack Bowser won both 50-mile events, beating Gene Marmer, Norm Nelson, and Frank Frieda in the first race, and Al Unser, Marmer, and champion Don White in the nightcap. The second race was interrupted for over an hour when Bill Bailing of Milwaukee spun into the pits and clobbered a wrecker. The track doctor, watching the action from atop the wrecker, fell off and suffered a broken arm and joined Bailing, his leg injured, in the hospital. The delay was made necessary while another doctor was rounded up. At Lexington, Ohio, in today's three-hour Trans-American Sedan Championship race at Mid-Ohio Raceways, Mark Donahue, who started last, placed his Penske Camaro a lap and a half ahead at the finish of Jerry Titus's Mustang, Peter Revson's Javelin, and Bob Johnson's Camaro. Fifth and first under two liters was Bert Everett's Porsche 911. Young Gary Bettenhausen gained his first sprint car victory today at Terre Haute, Indiana, outrunning Scratch Daniels, Raleigh Beal, Sam Sessions, and Carl Williams in the Land of Lincoln 50-lapper. Gary's victory ended the six-race winning streak of Larry Dixon, who spun out while in sixth place. Yesterday afternoon, at Mosport Park Road Course in Ontario, Dan Gurney again showed that his Gurney Eagle is the best road racing machine on the USAC Championship Trail, and that he's equally superior behind the wheel. Mario Andretti chased Dan home in both of the 100-mile heats, with Roger McCluskey third in the opener, and Ronnie Bucknam in the show spot second time around. Indy winner Bobby Unser destroyed his Rislone Eagle and suffered a cut forehead when he spun off the road early in the first race. And Gordon Johncock peeled the wheels off his Eagle when he came around a blind turn and found a local driver motoring at 20 miles an hour. He was unhurt. There's lots of work to be done on the many damaged cars this week, prepping for the Lang 150-miler in Pennsylvania next Sunday. This is Chris Economaki reporting. Sport of Speed, brought to you twice each weekend by the many famous brands of Pennsylvania-grade crude oil. For the lasting good of your engine, insist on a Pennsylvania motor oil. This is Mel Allen for Monitor Sports. Sport of Speed is a regular feature every weekend on Monitor. When the lights went out, were you only a dream that I only dreamed about? Where was I when the lights went out? Was I only the thing you knew you could do without? Was the light all that 
that one is new from The Letterman. In the 1900s, cigarettes were considered so new that we used an average of only two packs per person a year. By 1930, that figure rose to 70, and scientists soon became suspicious of cigarettes as a possible health problem. In the 50s, research was going on, both in this country and abroad. By 1962, the average per capita consumption of cigarettes reached 200 packs a year. Something had to be done. One of the reasons for concern is the great increase in lung cancer. In the United States alone, lung cancer deaths have increased from 3,000 in 1930 to 50,000 in 1965. Facts are facts. You can't argue with a fact. You can't ignore it. Or can you? Write for the newest free booklet, Facts About Smoking and Health, U.S. Public Health Service, Washington, D.C., 20201. latest from Caravelli's orchestra, Delilah. The latest around the nation and the world is directly ahead, so stay close by for NBC Monitor News on the hour. Brad Crandall here. The we must take a station break. Don't turn your set off, don't you make a mistake. Don't leave us behind, there's still lots more time with more. This is our birthday, so here's the toast. We're proud of Monitor and we boast. The years are showing, just look how we're growing on NBC. Where we are celebrating our 13th Monitor birthday in the beginning of year number 14, with many thanks to you. Brad Crandall here, and just a few minutes away, Mel Allen, reporting all of today's action and sports. Stay right here on NBC. 
The agony and frustration of the Vietnam War has been graphically documented in a new book by 24-year-old author Jonathan Shell, titled The Military Half. It's an eyewitness account of the destruction the war has brought to two provinces in South Vietnam. NBC correspondent Howard Tuckner, formerly stationed in Vietnam, talks with Mr. Shell about some of the specific points raised by the book. Mr. Shell, your, your book says that many civilians died because of United States military operations in the two provinces, Quang Nai and Quang Tin. Why did this happen? Weren't the civilians warned to leave the areas? Well, uh, it happened in, uh, in, a, in a hundred different ways. Uh, in some cases, they are warned to leave, but in other cases, uh, they aren't warned, uh, particularly when troops are fighting with uh, the enemy uh, nearby. So that if there's a sniper fire from a village, they uh, call in what they call an immediate strike, which means uh, that the planes come right in as soon as they can with uh, the bombs. And in that case, uh, there's almost there's very rarely uh, enough time to give any kind of warning. And even in the cases when they do give a warning, it's given by leaflets. And uh, unfortunately, many of the Vietnamese peasants can't read so these leaflets are extremely ineffective. You mean the leaflets that are written in Vietnamese, they can't read Vietnamese either? They can't read Vietnamese either. Thank you. Jonathan Shell, author of a new, no-nonsense book on the destruction in Vietnam. It's called The Military Half. This is Howard Tuckner, NBC News, reporting for Monitor. Bird Backrack's orchestra, are you there? Monitors everywhere. Available all over America on NBC Radio. WPTF Raleigh, North Carolina is NBC for Eastern Carolina. Monitor continues shortly with the award-winning NBC News program, The World and Washington. An in-depth look at the United States' role in world affairs. This is Brad Crandall. <laughs>
This is David Weber, NBC News, Paris. Listen to comprehensive coverage of the Paris Peace Talks on NBC Radio. Mm-hmm.